Paddock Pass podcast 2019 coming at you from a hotel room in Hareth. My name is Neil Morrison. I'm joined by the illustrious veteran journalist of the MotoGP world, Mr. David Emmett. And we are here to bring you one of the first shows of 2019, specifically about MotoGP and MotoGP testing at Sepang. David, welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast once again. How are you? Very good, but slightly disappointed that you started off with fake news, Neil, because we are actually in Arcos de la Frontera, which is uh, north of Jerez de la Frontera. But we're down here for the Moto2 test at, um, uh, at Jerez. Looking forward to seeing if KTM have fixed their chatter problems and uh, just uh, hearing those Triumph triples again. Ever the pedant uh, you are, Dave. Yes, thanks for pulling me up on that. Very true indeed. Um, and we're uh, well, we're rapidly making our way through the preseason. We've got Model Two test. We're fil- um, recording uh, on the eve of that Model Two, Model Three test. And then, uh, well, basically by the end of this week, we'll be off to Qatar for the second and final MotoGP preseason test of 2019. Um, but this show is primarily about Sepang. Uh, I'm on hosting duties this week because I was uh, in Barcelona. Uh, I had the luxury of sleeping in my bed each night before waking up and um, realizing that you guys were quite a few hours ahead. David, you were out there with uh, a couple of couple of colleagues. Uh, how was the experience overall for you? Um, it was a very interesting uh, test. I suffered horrendously with jet lag, but um, uh, these things uh, these things happen. I actually suffered horrendously with jet lag until I figured out how to jerry rig my um, the air conditioning in my uh, hotel so that it wasn't blowing all over me in the middle of the night and keeping me asleep, keeping me awake rather. But um, the, the the test itself was really interesting. There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on sort of under the water, and there was a lot of uh, we saw lots of bits and pieces of uh, new parts being. Uh, being debuted, we're still not entirely sure what they all mean. Uh, some more new aero on just about all of the factories, I think. So yeah, there was there was plenty to see, plenty to talk about as well, and um, it certainly looks like we are going to be in for a very good season. Yeah, now we're going to go through uh, each of the six factories present in MotoGP uh, one by one and just give a little assessment and summary of where they are at at the moment. But before that, we're just going to uh, give a brief overview uh, just in case uh, you have forgotten what happened at Sepang. If you look at the uh, the, t- the final timesheets uh, from the combined standings over the three days, it was a Ducati whitewash at the first four positions occupied by GP19s and GP18s. We had Danilo Petrucci six tenths of a second under Jorge Lorenzo's year-old outright circuit record uh, quite uh, quite an achievement really it has to be said for the final day and uh, rookie sensation Francesco Bagnaia in second place but more than Ducati I think the thing that I took away from this test Dave was that in the past couple of years there's been at least one of the big four factories languishing or a little bit in trouble seemingly lost at this stage of the preseason look back to last year Yamaha were in a good way uh, the year before I think we could say the same maybe about Suzuki um, back before that in 2016 Honda were in all sorts of difficulties um, but it seems that Yamaha Honda Suzuki and Ducati are all basically where they were at the end of last year and that is showing great podium potential uh, yeah, I mean, it was really much closer than I think I've seen it uh, in a long time. And all, as you say, all four were really quick. 
we had a Ducati whitewash, uh, you know, top four, uh, four, two, four Ducatis uh, at the top of the combined timesheets, but they were all just single fast laps. Also worth saying that um, there were actually six riders under um, uh, under Jorge Lorenzo's um, uh, record lap. That was a lot of that was down to conditions. We had fantastic conditions. I think it rained briefly the day before. It didn't rain during any of the tests. It it literally started raining at half past seven on the Friday night after the test had. Uh, after the test had finished. So it was um, uh, absolutely superb conditions, a lot of rubber on the track. Um, and the track was very clean anyway because uh, there'd been the shakedown test for three days before, uh, which had seen a lot of riders out on track. Uh, all six factories had their test riders there. Uh, plus there was a bunch of Japanese superbikes going around at the same time. So it was, uh, yeah, I mean, conditions were absolutely fantastic. There was everything um everything that could go right did go right so um uh, but uh, as you say all four of the top factories looked in really really good shape there wasn't anyone that you thought oh there's 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 something going on there alex rinch looks outstanding the the all the ducatis looked good uh the hondas despite being battered and bruised and uh, recovering from injuries they look pretty uh, pretty solid maverick vinales looked absolutely fantastic uh, Valentina Rossi, I think, was suffering a little bit uh, in the heat. But, um, yeah, all looked pretty close. Even Alicia Spargo, what, finishing seventh? You know, uh, that looked promising. Yeah, and you had Zarco, uh, Oliveira looking decent for KTM. Yeah. Paul Spargo showed some decent speed at certain points. I mean, essentially, it was, a, it was a good test for all of the six factories. I don't think one of them would be coming away particularly disappointed or uh, very worried. Uh, yeah. about what went happen, uh, about what went on. Um, but let's start with Yamaha because obviously um, we did a summary show of 2018 a few weeks back. Your big story that you took away from it in 2018 was Yamaha, their continued lack of progress, uh, the issues that they continued to encounter uh, throughout pretty much all of last season until the flyaways essentially. Um, so much was riding on this test because we heard some mixed messages from their riders at Hareth Last November, uh, Vinales basically said, this bike can win me the title. Rossi said otherwise. Um, on the final day here, Vinales was incredibly positive. Rossi was a little bit apprehensive. Um, but when you look at the lap-by-lap analysis on all three days, both guys looked really good in race trim. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rossi looked absolutely solid. Vinales looked absolutely fantastic. I mean, like, um, uh, just based on race pace, it looked like it was going to be between uh, Maverick Vinales and Alex Rins uh, on the Suzuki. The Yamaha, they've worked a lot on the uh, on the Yamaha. There's been some organisational changes as well. Yeah, Kujisu, yeah, yeah, project leader. The project leader, he has been moved on. There is uh, someone else uh, in his place whose name is... Takahiro Sumi. Takahiro Sumi, that's right. Um, uh, Takahiro Sumi has come in uh, to take over that. He comes from the chassis development. Uh, There's been uh, a lot more work on the electronics over the winter. I had a brief chat with uh, Lynn Jarvis um, uh, about sort of this uh, this and that, and he, he was basically saying, well, if you look at the end of 2018, there was already some improvements there, um, sort of coming through from 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 there before, so it's not all down to these these organisational changes are small, but they all make a difference. But he, what he said most of all was there was really a, a different feeling, a different vibe in the team. Everyone was you know really motivated. I think 
uh, losing can really be the best thing that happens to uh, uh, to people. Sometimes it concentrates the mind. You saw it with Valentino Rossi when he lost in 2006-2007. You saw it with Mark Marquez uh, and when he lost in 2015. Um, he, he changed lots of things, changed the way he worked, changed his, because he realised, okay, it's not uh, it's not easy. Same with Yamaha. They had a really terrible year and I think that has really concentrated minds. Everyone is extremely motivated to make this uh, make sure this doesn't happen again. They seem to fix the bike. They're like the engine. Uh, right, both riders were were fairly uh, happy with the engine. Uh, Valentino Rossi was very cautious throughout. Uh, Maverick Vinales was just sort of in love with everything. Uh, but it's always difficult to say how seriously you should take that. Uh, Valentino Rossi was much more cautious, uh, just stressing, you know, we've still got a lot of work to do. Um, he was always a little bit vague about exactly what needed to, to be done but as usual it's um electronics uh, chassis uh, the engine could use a little bit more power but yeah they're in they're in uh, pretty good shape and if you look at Franco Morbidelli Franco Morbidelli is also basically on roughly the same bike as the factory uh, as the factory riders and he had a very good test as well so i think uh, i think Yamaha are in a very promising shape although the thing about the Yamahas, we, their biggest weakness has always been the last few laps of a race, and we won't find out how the tyres are holding up until, uh, until we actually have a race and, and we find out. Yeah, no, I don't want to be a cynic, Dave, but we have been here before with Yamaha several times, not just last year, but even in 2017 when they were having all those issues with, uh, well, with lack of rear grip, with um, chassis, they seem, seemingly got lost with different chassis changes and things like that. Um, Rossi wasn't exactly glowing on the final day of testing. Um, and Vinales, I guess, has developed a bit of a, a reputation for being the king of testing in recent years. Um, should we take this test with a, a pinch of salt? I mean, Sepang has been slightly misleading in previous years. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest concern was the conditions because the track was, in, was, you know, fantastic. It was very, very hot which made it a bit greasy sometimes but also there was a lot of rubber down and so there was um, there was a lot more grip than you uh, than you might expect and uh, Yamaha have really struggled when there's uh, when there's been poor grip so i think Qatar will really be the proof of the pudding as far as Yamaha is concerned we'll we'll know a lot more after that but Vinales was pleased about the about engine braking, about the way that getting the bike into the corner because it, because he could get the bike into the corner better, it meant he was getting out the corner better. Uh, acceleration was pretty decent. They're just missing. Uh, they're still missing acceleration. They need more acceleration. But uh, there was, I, I I would guess that's the 2019 bike is a big step forward for Yamaha. But whether that is enough to catch up with the steps forward which the other factories have made is is hard to tell. Okay, interesting. It's worth mentioning that in terms of consistency, um, Vinales really had few parallels. I think Alex Rins was pretty much the only guy across the three days that was on a par with Vinales, the amount of 159s and two-minute zeros that he was he was posting. Um, also, his race simulation on the final day was quite awe-inspiring. I was speaking uh, to someone involved with Ducati uh, recently, and they were well, they were marvelling basically at Vinales' feet. But as you say, that was when the grip was really good. Uh, three days of rubber laid down essentially. Uh, how will the the M1 react to a greasy track 
after a Moto2 race when there's lots of Dunlop rubber down. That's been uh, one of Vinales' complaints in recent years. Yeah, exactly. And I think also with the change to the the Triumph engine and uh, Magnetti Morelli Electronics, uh, that's going to change the way that the Moto2 bikes actually lay rubber down on the uh, on the track. Uh, so it, it's completely unpredictable to see how that uh, uh, how that reacts. Uh, Michelin have brought um, a new compounds which they hope um, warm up slightly faster and and have more uh, or they have you know the 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 normal good warm up but they have better duration they uh, you know they should be able to last the entire race uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, helps that again might also help yamaha because uh, it means they're not having to worry about uh, about tire wear i think seven races last year in which the top 15 riders were uh, covered by less than 35 seconds. It was six the year before that. And uh, Andrea De Vizioso, I've uh, seen in the interview he did last year, I think it was, where he said that basically it was Michelin's rear tyres that were uh, most uh, responsible for that thing. And it seems that Michelin are attempting to uh, address that in just the, the longevity of uh, the rear compounds. Um, okay, so Yamaha, pretty good test overall, I think we could say. Yep. Um, still... Uh, re- remains to be seen whether that will translate to uh, both riders fighting for the championship. Um, next of all, um, it feels appropriate that we should maybe go to Suzuki because Alex Rins, as we were saying, was right on, right up there, right in the par with Vinales in terms of pace. Um, Suzuki have just been going from strength to strength to strength for the last 18 months now, it seems. Yeah, I mean, th- the best thing about Suzuki is Suzuki uh, prove that the MotoGP rules, the new regulations, the uh, the with the concessions teams, uh, uh, the extra testing and being allowed to um, uh, modify your engine during the season, that really, really works. We saw they made a terrible mistake in 2017, got the engine wrong, um, couldn't fix it, um, just had to suffer, ended up without any podiums and ended up getting concessions. Um, and they completely, you know, smashed through the barrier of, of concessions just because they'd made such a big step. They made one big step with the engine at the start of 2018 and then they got a second engine after um, Assen. Uh, and that was uh, an even bigger um, uh, step. And they they started off with a really, really good base. Um, I think they've been working on some electronics issues as well. Really, I mean, they're just they're just in really, really. They they were in good shape at the end of 2018. Uh, the new engine, uh, which Sylvain Gintoli has been testing, uh, is even more of an improvement. Uh, you know, uh, more power. They still. There was still like a little bit more power. Everyone wants more power. Well, uh, even Ducati want more power and they've got power coming out of the wazoo, as they say. But yeah, I mean, you know, Suzuki need more. They want more power. Uh, the, the bike has always handled well. Uh, I think they are also looking a little bit at, um, uh, at, at corner entry. The bike's improved a lot on corner entry as well. The acceleration uh, gains I heard Rin say over the yeah. three days as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's a really good bike. It's a solid bike. Alex Rins had the aura of a champion. He was relaxed and confident and in control. And uh, I think, I get a sneaking f- uh, feeling that um, we're going to see some fairly special, uh, uh, something a little bit special this year from uh, from, uh, from Alex Rins. Okay, interesting. One of the maybe one of the concerns about Suzuki in this preseason was that they were losing a very experienced rider in Andrea Iannone at the end of last year. Joanne Mir was stepping up from Model Two, one year of experience in the intermediate class, 
uh, just two years in the Moto3 Championship before that. So relatively uh, rough around the edges. Um, Alex Rins is only 23 at this point, I think. Um, does he seem, I mean, you were saying that pretty much he has that aura of someone, but it yeah. seems that he's he's also in a position where he can lead a factory now as well, Well, I, I competently. Th- yeah, but I, I think the changes with uh, with Ian only leaving going to, to Aprilia, that also puts uh, Rince in a different situation. He's sort of, you know, clearly the leader. He is clearly the, um, uh, you know, lead developer. He's clearly sort of in charge in that team. Uh, until Juan Mir gets up to speed, um, and I think that has really helped his confidence. I think that's made uh, th- that's going to make a really big difference for him. Like I say, he's standing around, um, he just seems he seems calmer. He seems more confident. He seems to have everything. He seems to have all his ducks in a row. Although I should probably use that for the Ducati rather than the Suzuki, but um, he's got all his ducks in a row. He's got everything in place. Um, he, he just seems to have everything. Um, uh, uh, yeah, everything seems to be going, uh, you know, working the way that it needs to. So um, impressive stuff, really impressive uh, stuff to see from uh, uh, from Rinson. Juan Mir was, uh, I wouldn't quite say sort of invisible, but he was just, you know, plugging away, adapting to MotoGP. Uh, there's a lot of people who are quite impressed with the way he works, uh, his work ethic. Okay, um, I'll put you in the spot here. Are we likely to see Rins win a race, break his winning duck in MotoGP, uh, let's say in the first five races? Well, the first five races are always a bit weird. There's uh, Argentina, he goes well in Argentina. Yeah, Qatar as well. Uh, but there's a lot of riders go well, go well in uh, Qatar. I think the first five races, um, because it's a really tough field, I think it's difficult It's difficult to say the first five races, but I would be... Um, I would be surprised if we get to the summer break and he hasn't won a race yet. Okay. Okay, so uh, it might be slightly strange that we're, uh, we haven't hit Ducati yet, but I'm going to go to Honda um, because while Ducati were so uh, so well represented at the front of the timesheets, um, I think in terms of pace, we could say Honda, this test at least, um, were also mildly impressive. Um, now we know that Mark Marquez, the reigning world champion, um, suffered well he's basically going through a period of extensive rehabilitation after um, some quite serious surgery to his left shoulder um aggressive surgery i think he said uh, a lot yeah, more serious much, than he, yeah much more aggressive than he was expecting uh, the doctors were expecting it to be an hour an hour and a half he ended up on the uh, surgeon's table for i think four, four. hours um, and basically, as soon as he went under, or as soon as the uh, anaesthetists sort of put the gas on him, his, his shoulder popped straight out. So, um, yeah, it was a big, big operation. Yeah, and I think he was playing down at the end of last year just how much pain and how much discomfort that was causing him. I was going to um, the, I was flying from Barcelona to Jerez in November for the end of year test. Um, Mark was on the same flight as I was, and he was standing uh, a few places up in the queue for me, and every, basically every minute he was having to extend his left arm into the air and basically clench um, his fist. Um, you could tell he must have been getting, I don't know, lack of feeling, pins and needles, whatever that was. Um, I think one of the doctors that operated on him said it was a minor miracle that he was able to yeah. to race in the final race of 2018, never mind win uh, several of them. Um, and considering 
his only experience on a motorcycle after that operation, which was in early December, was I think on a 100cc pocket bike, Honda pocket bike that uh, he made a little video off. Um, For him then to jump on to Honda's 2019 bike, and I think he ended the first day fastest. Um, He obviously wasn't pushing for a time when everyone was going crazy, balls to the wall on the third day. But I mean, Mark, does look in pretty good shape physically okay he's still got a long way to go but in terms of where honda's at um yeah they do seem to be quite uh, yeah, quite I, ominous shape exactly if you look on the timesheets they you know it looks like a a reasonable test not a, not, a, not a fantastic test they don't seem to be um they certainly weren't sort of dominating the top of the timesheets uh in, in in terms of race pace they were you know pretty good but um uh, they didn't really have very much for rinse or for vinales so yeah you would if if you looked at it purely from um you know with, without any knowledge of of what what else was going on you would say well honda are not looking all that fantastic but if you think about sort of the condition in which people were in marquez basically you know the repsol honda people were basically having to lock mark marquez in a cupboard in the afternoons um to stop him from riding because he rode in the mornings he was quick he was comfortable he couldn't break the way that he wanted uh, he couldn't ride the way he, had. he was actually having to be smoother than, than, than normal he wasn't able or he wasn't able but also he wasn't really willing to push the front end to 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 find out what was going on with the front end of the bike um because you know that that would involve too risky couldn't afford to crash. Yeah, because that could send him back months, essentially. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, and months, possibly even, you know, years. Until that uh, until that shoulder has settled down, he was really worried about inflammation in the shoulder. And he's basically been doing hours of, of physio every single day. Five hours a day. Yeah, which is just... Um, I mean... And he, he was saying, I think, sorry to butt in, but he was saying, I think he had four days break during yeah uh, or after his his operation i think it was bo- um sorry christmas eve christmas day uh, new year's eve and new year's day yeah that's right and otherwise it's just flat out with, with physio and five hours a day of physio is just immensely boring um uh, it's really really hard work and not very not very rewarding so his um you know his dedication is 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 quite remarkable um yeah, I. It was certainly interesting that he made sure he set the fastest time on the first day of the test, just to prove uh, to himself, most of all, that he could still do it. Um, after that, I think that also left him a lot more relaxed. He also said that on the last couple of days that um, the shoulder was slightly better than he thought. At the end of the first day, uh, he was worried that he would get up on the second day and not be able to do anything. But it was actually it actually held up better than than he expected, so that was quite impressive. Yeah, I think he's not really going to be fully fit fit until about Jerez, and the first few races are going to be just a question of of hanging in there. Uh, but the Honda is much better. The engine is much better. The engine's got a lot more power. They've changed the intake uh, tracks. They were playing with different exhaust systems at uh, at Sepang. Um, they had a little bit of uh, different aero. You can now tell uh, uh, the key to spotting the 2019 bike is that it's got two little black 
carbon humps on the front uh, on the front of the chassis. That's got a bunch of electronics in which has been put in there to make room for the uh, the larger airbox. Um, yeah, because uh, there's a, a big air intake basically in the center of the bike now, right? Exactly. Instead of what what, what used to happen was the air was uh, taken out of the front and it was immediately rooted around the headstock, around the side of the uh, the side of the bike, and then it came in um, uh, sort of uh, basically underneath the um, uh, underneath the side of the frame. The new one, it goes straight into the airbox, straight from the uh, uh, straight from the front of the bike, and that's seeking just more top speed. Uh, yeah, it, it means more pressure in the airbox. That means uh, you know basically more oxygen means more um, more oxygen you get into the airbox. The great the, the air pressure you can you can get in there. Um, the more uh, it's, it's almost like um, it's a very simple form of supercharging. Um, you've got a higher pressure. You've got above atmospheric pressure there, so you can get more petrol into the um, into the cylinders, more fuel air mixture into the cylinders, which you can burn and get more power from. So. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's more powerful. They spent a lot of time sort of going backwards and forwards trying to get because uh, more power means uh, makes it more difficult to control. So then you've got to manage it with torque maps to try and uh, tone it down and make it more manageable, but but retain as much of that power and as much of the uh, the acceleration as you, as you can. The Hondas looked quick. Uh, Marcus spent all of the time working on. Uh, basically working on that, on, on the acceleration, because he couldn't work on the front of the bike. Crutchlow said he wasn't particularly comfortable uh, with the changes at the front of the bike, but then he, they hadn't spent a lot of time actually setting up the the the, uh, the front to get it sort of like perfectly suited to, to him. But then you don't necessarily want to do that because what you want to do is keep the front end up set up the same so when you change parts you know what's happening you know the change is down to the part and not down to uh you know all right we've changed this part and we've given it a little bit more rebound or a little bit uh, more damping or whatever um uh, good engineering principle only change one thing at a time so you know what uh, what, what what each of these effects have individually uh, but yeah i mean honda uh, honda are in much much better shape than um uh, than they look and I think everyone else should be worried. Stefan Bradl was quite quick as well. He uh, um, was quite impressive during uh, during the test. Um, so yeah, and, and this bearing in mind that Marquez is number two, uh, Jorge Lorenzo wasn't even there, uh, still recovering from a broken scaphoid. Yeah. Um, and I think we should mention Carl Crutchlow because looking at the uh, pace on the final day, I think Crutchlow was up there. Uh, he was fast. I think he was sixth fastest overall. But his consistency in the final day was quite something as well for a guy that has been out um, essentially since the end of October last year, the Australian yeah. Grand Prix. Um, really, really complicated. Yeah, and, he, and he hadn't, he has, yeah, he hadn't ridden a bike since then. You know, the last time he rode a motorcycle, um, uh, it was um, for a few minutes until he was flung into the air at three hundred and something kilometres an hour, and came smashing down on his um, on his ankle and completely destroyed his um, uh, destroyed his ankle. He said he he had a a kilo of metal put in to hold it all together, which you wonder what effects that's going to have with all this talk about, you know, dangling your leg and what effects it has on braking. And now, you know, one of his feet is heavier than the other. So um, uh, it'll be it'll be an interesting scientific uh, uh, experiment to see if he can uh, now brakes, if he brakes differently uh, when he's going into right-handers rather than left-handers. Um, I ran into, into him at the airport and he had, um, he says normally only travel, travels with a carry-on. Uh, but he actually had a, um, he was waiting for his luggage uh, uh, because in his luggage he had a, a, a massive collection of boots 
in the hope that he could find one which would sort of like fit and be uh, be comfortable. So um, it was also, it was quite impressive from Crutchlow and Crutchlow, I mean, during testing, he's always a little bit understated, doesn't sort of say much, doesn't do, doesn't do much, spends most of his time telling us that he can't tell us anything. Uh, so I think, um, uh, yeah, I think he's in good shape. I think Honda are in good shape. And I think when Lorenzo gets back on the bike, uh, it's going to be really interesting, especially at especially at Qatar, which is a track that that Lorenzo always goes goes well at. Yeah, sure. Um, and you said that Cal spends most of his time during testing trying not to tell us things. But one of the interesting things I picked up on him saying on the final day was, I think someone asked him who's in the best ship. Uh, I mean, Yamaha looks strong, Suzuki looks strong, and he said, "Well, us." Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so yeah. just just wait until um, all those guys get back in the fighting fitness ship. I mean, I must say, at Valencia last year, I was thinking this could be a complete disaster for Honda because you've got Marquez coming back, Crutchlow still sidelined. Uh, Lorenzo at that point was new to the bike and didn't really know how yeah. a Honda should behave. But I think even Lorenzo can, despite missing three days at Sepang, can look at where the bike is, um, can take those positive first impressions and think, you know what, I can still have a really good season. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the uh, because he's he's broken his scaphoid, and the thing about the scaphoid bone is um, it depends on where the fracture is. Um, uh, that one end of, of the scaphoid is closer to the blood supply than the other uh, than the other. And if you end it, if you fracture it uh, at the end closer to the blood supply, then it heals quite quickly. Uh, if it's uh, further away, then it uh, that it doesn't heal so so quickly. But you know, um, Lorenz has been posting videos videos of himself wrestling with a steel bar well it looked pretty good insofar as you know how uh, how close that is to actually running a motor gp bike is a uh, is another question but um uh, i think he got a little bit lucky with his uh, with his scaphoid injury so we shall uh, uh, yeah w- we shall wait and see but i think i i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how quick he can be and i think we're going to see how the the, the real test of his fitness will be how many long runs does he do does he actually go out and do um, uh, do long runs mm. so um let's move on then to Ducati. um now the reason why we've left them until now is because we were going through the uh analysis john's lap by lap analysis there wasn't so much there from the, f- the factory guys that was um that stood out essentially um davizio was on petrucci yeah sure they were fast petrucci obviously blind in speed um but they weren't quite so good. And certainly Jack Miller attempted a, a longer run on the final day and he was well uh, below um, what was sort of expected. Um, I was speaking to someone from Ducati and they basically saying that, you know, if you look at his lap-by-nap analysis off that race run, he was around two seconds a lap slower than Vinales. Uh, not quite what we were expecting of Miller on the GP19. Speed, one, one lap speed, sure, but... Yeah. Maybe a little bit back. Um, maybe it's worth pointing out that um, of all the races in 2018, I guess, Sepang was probably the worst one for Ducati overall. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was the one thing which Dovizioso said was that um, uh, you have to remember this was a terrible track for us last year. Um, uh, so they weren't too concerned about the fact that they weren't uh, anywhere, uh, they weren't sort of at the front in terms of race pace they were really I mean honestly those laps were fantastic it's also really nice just to see Danilo Patrici get the uh, get the fastest lap he deserves it um, he's um, 
a, a genuinely nice guy as well as a genuinely fast guy, and his story, you know, the story coming through Superstock and uh, and all the rest of it, and the and the CRT bikes, absolutely, um, uh, absolutely fantastic, proper rags to riches, um, and he's a serious, he's a very very serious racer, and I think that whole again we talk about sort of you know organisation, the, the organisational changes at Yamaha. There's been some organisational changes at um, at Suzuki as well. They're setting up a separate Suzuki Racing Corporation along the lines of Honda uh, HR. Say Honda Racing Corporation, like all of the uh, uh, factories, really. Um, but the organisational changes with Petrucci coming in and Lorenzo leaving, uh, Petrucci and Dovichos are working much closer together. Uh, they're both living much closer to the factory. They're spending much more time at the factory. Um, and these are all small things which are which are paying off. We saw Ducati uh, uh, debut a fair few bits and bobs and a newer, bigger uh, salad box at the back. Um, but again, it's a complete mystery um, what's in there. I actually got a peek into the salad box, I think, at Valencia when someone smashed GP uh, GP18 got uh, got brought into uh, the box but um all i could see were you know lumps of metal and lots and lots of wires and stuff so I, i'm still none the wiser actually what actually as to what i was looking at uh, but yeah there was a there, there was a larger uh, a larger salad box there was um they uh, tried the torque arm once again uh, that seemed to that seemed to help. They didn't try the um, uh, the seat with wings again, and of course there was the hole shot device. Mm. This little color. We were all down there on um, the triple clamp. On the triple clamp. That's right. On the top. Uh, 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 on the top of the triple clamp. There were and we were all down there trying to get a proper look at it and a proper. Um, uh, uh, get photos and uh, much to the annoyance of Ducati mechanics, there is it's basically like a um, uh, almost like a clockwork screw um, uh, on top, which is which is quite clean an on and off position, and it leads to a cable, and the cable sort of disappears under the tank and does some magic there at the back. Peter Bomb, uh, former Moto Two and Moto Three crew chief. Um, I talked quite a lot, quite a lot about it with him, and he was saying that um, <clears throat> he thought that because these things have come and gone in the past, uh, but he thought that with Michelin's new rear tire, it actually has enough grip that it would make a difference. Um, uh, previously wasn't really effective because it didn't really make enough difference for it to make uh, uh, to make much sense but he could sort of see how that uh, th that it might actually may, uh, make a difference um, but again you know the whole shot um, it's the first what 10 seconds of a race and then uh, you've got another 45 minutes to go um, and I think uh, the takeaway from the Sepang test is we're not sure how Ducati are going to go over uh, the full 45 minutes again we're going to learn a lot more at um uh at qatar where conditions are going to be different and where yeah where where they will focus because it, again ducati their speciality is managing the rear tire i interviewed Gigi delino i've got to write it up here but i interviewed him about you know the tire management software and on or the tire modeling software that they've been using and um although he didn't tell me very much he did sort of you know emphasize the tire the tire management is is it's so it, it's so crucial the, the 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 tires are the most important component on on the motorcycle so yeah they've got some real focus on that and i think perhaps when there's a lot of grip 
Um, you don't really see the strength of their uh, the, the strength of their bike. You'll see the strength of their bike when there's a little bit less grip, and there'll be lots, plenty of tracks this year where they go where there isn't very much track and where they can benefit, where they can profit. Okay, um, I think we have to mention uh, rookie sensation Peko Banyai before we move on from Ducati because setting the second fastest time at only his third MotoGP test um, was something to behold, really. Um, six tenths, I think he was off the quickest time at Valencia, 0.3 or just a little over that, back off the fastest time at Jerez, and then, what, less than a tenth here at Sepang. Um I mean, it's it's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, he is he is clearly absolutely sensational. I had a quick chat with Christian Gabarini um, uh, at the end of the test, and he was saying yeah, it is really impressive that you know he's really quick. That's uh, Peko's crew chief. That's yeah, yeah Peko's crew chief uh, was uh, Lorenzo's crew chief, Casey Stone's crew chief. He did say that really impressive times uh, from uh, from Peko, but it's uh, that's only half of being a MotoGP rider, or it's it's not even half of being a, a MotoGP rider. Being a MotoGP rider is understanding what tires are doing through the race, understanding how to manage them through the race, uh, uh, getting and uh, managing your race so that you're getting uh, the most out of the performance of the bike from beginning to end and that's somewhere where Banya still got sort of you know plenty of work to uh, to do um but in terms of raw speed it's clear that you know truly exceptional talent and i think this this you know class of rookies which are, which have come into the class are really very exciting yeah they really are absolutely watching them in Moto 2 battle each other last year was a bit of a delight and just one quick thing on Banyaya one of the things I think that's going to hold him in very good stead is that he's obviously on the GP18 uh, Christian Gabarini the crew chief that you just mentioned was working with Jorge Lorenzo all of last year on that bike um, so he has yeah. intimate knowledge off the bike settings that work obviously um Bagnaia will have a bit of a different style to Lorenzo but there he has essentially a world championship winning crew chief who knows this bike really well intimately yeah, I, I think someone said that he basically had uh his styles sort of halfway between um uh, Lorenzo's and uh and Dovicioso's which is a pretty good place to be given that both of them were really really quick so um I'm really looking forward to seeing him by uh, seeing how he develops through the year and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he were to win a race in his uh, in his first year Ooh, wow you heard it here first listeners my goodness me that is something we're going to have to uh, draw our attention to back at the uh, well, well at we'll the end get of to the Valencia and then you'll point at me and laugh yes exactly <laughs> or uh, or I shall sit there and look smug and stroke my beard and say goodness me well of course I knew this was going to happen yeah I was going to go out in the limb what I thought was going out in the limb and say that Benyai I think will finish in the top six in his first three races I expect him to be fighting in a, in a if we see a, a sort of a freight train race at Qatar like we did last year I wouldn't be surprised if he's there for Half a race, uh, yeah, three quarters I, of a race. I, I think what you see with rookies is they learn a lot um, in their races when they can um, stay with the front group and uh, follow the proven fast guys around because they they, they learn so much from uh, the way that the, um, uh, the, the veterans are actually riding um, from the way that they're sort of, you know, uh, changing their riding through through the course of the race to compensate for the for uh, you know fuel being burnt and um, uh, tires being worn and all these uh, uh, all these other things. So it's uh, um, it, if he gets into if he gets in behind 
Vinales, Rossi, Marquez, someone like that, or Dovicioso, Petrucci. Um, um, if you get in behind one of those in the first sort of like four or five races, then um, then I think he's going to make sort of a, a, a huge step forward. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Bagnaia in Moto2 always said that braking was his real strength. Um, indeed, when we went to tracks which had a heavy focus on braking, he was always there or thereabouts. Um, on the first day at Sepang, he was saying that somewhere that he was having an issue, yet by the end of the test, he was the quickest guy in the fourth sector, yeah. um, which I think tells its own story, really. Um, so Bagnaia, yep. Uh, I was going to say one to watch, but then I guess everyone everyone knew that already. Yeah, well, the, the fact that he was signed before the 2018 season even started. In fact, the um, uh, the I saw the first uh, the first reports of it in uh, while I was in uh, Italy for the 2018 Ducati launch. It was before the Ducati launch, so um, uh, yeah, a lot of people have uh, had their uh, had their eyes on him. Yeah. Yeah, but with good reason, it has to be said. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a choice. Who would you prefer to start with, uh, Dave? We've got two factories remaining. I think KTM, they're the most interesting. Okay, and why is that? Again, it, part of it is organisation, first of all. The adding the Tech 3 team to, um, uh, to KTM's factory effort uh, it's made a huge difference. Um, the arrival of Joan Zarco is going to make a huge difference. Uh, Miguel Oliveira, for me, Miguel Oliveira was the real surprise, the real revelation of the test. You wouldn't necessarily say it from the see it from the from the timesheets, but he made a vast, vast uh, improvement over the course of uh, of this test. Made a huge step forward compared to uh, the winter tests. Unfortunately, he left his he completely left his uh, his more experienced teammate behind. Um, but Oliveira is very, very methodical. Works through um, uh, things one thing, one step at a time. Uh, Zarco also very similar. It was interesting going down uh, into pit lane, and you know, um, I think at one point Paul uh, uh, Paul Espargaro said that um, uh, he would go out three laps and they'd change everything on the bike and go out and do another three laps and then uh, they come in and they'd change everything on the bike again. Um, they were just throwing so many new parts at it and. When you went down and saw uh, Zarco, he he would come in and his bike would not look that very different from the 2018 bike. Um, whereas there was always something new to be seen on Paul's bike. Um, that kind of calm focus, I think, is going to make a huge difference. Uh, Zarco himself made a big step from uh, uh, certainly from the uh, from the Jerez tests. Uh, and was much closer. But I think by by the end, he was faster than his teammate. Um, that I think is a big deal, uh, given the given the very very different nature of the uh, uh, of the bikes. And he was he was very focused. He was saying, you know, I don't care. All I'm going to do here is one step at a time. Um, learn, understand the bike, feel the bike, and then. We'll start to we'll start to progress. So I think um, uh, I th really think that Zarco is going to bring a lot to KTM. Um, they're still a long way behind. Uh, the trouble is, you know, look at uh, what do KTM need to do to win in MotoGP? Well, 
they um, have to beat Mark Marquez, which is quite difficult. No, it's only been managed once in the past six years. Um, they um, uh, have to beat the uh, factory Yamahas, some of the best bikes, um, uh, traditionally always been the best bikes in, in MotoGP. Uh, they've got to beat uh, the Ducatis, which have made him uh, improved enormously. Uh, Dovizioso finishing second in the championship. And now they've got to beat the Suzuki's as well. They've got to beat the GP18 of Peko Bagnaia. There is just the list of people you actually have to beat to win now is so long the field is so competitive um that you can't really judge by sort of finishing positions any longer you really have to look at the gap and the gap um the gap has got a lot closer for uh, for ktm but um uh, i think they're still a long way off a podium or well a little way off a off a truly earned podium rather than uh, I mean, Valencia, they certainly deserved it, but um, just for their hard work. But uh, it was exceptional conditions. Um, I think it's going to be a little while before they're actually sort of, you know, regularly fighting for podiums. But they are starting to make progress and they really need to make progress. Um, so the bike that Espargaro was running um, by the end of the test, I mean, is are we looking at radical changes from 2018? Uh, there were <laughs> there was radical changes to just about every single part of the bike. There was um, uh, they had uh, new chassis. They had a very different um, uh, tank and seat unit. They had a very different exhaust. They were uh, running carbon swing arm. Um, there was just lots and lots of lots and lots of pieces. And it was generally Espargaro who was doing uh, Espargaro and Calio who were doing the testing. Were testing the new parts. Um, uh, Zarka was getting sort of drip-fed new parts, mostly focusing on just adapting to the bike, adapting his riding style, and and, and figuring it all out. Which leaves us to the one remaining factory, Aprilia. Um, now, I guess there was no team or factory on the grid um, which the riders' fortunes contrasted so greatly. Um, but Spargaro, a decent test, I think, overall, as you mentioned earlier in the show, seventh fastest on the final day. Um, definitely a big improvement with the 19 RSGP compared to the 18, which essentially lost all the good characteristics of its predecessor, the 17 yeah, I mean, RSGP. The, 2000, the 2019 bike is basically a 2017 Evo. It's the bike which should have been the 2018 bike before they went in completely the wrong direction. Yeah, and uh, I think our, our colleague, uh, Peter McLaren was at the shakedown test that was uh, that preceded the uh, the three day Audi the official test, um, and he said that in the Aprilia box, um, I think they had two seventeen bikes and then two nineteen bikes. Yeah. So the seventeen basically is the benchmark that they're trying yes. to yep. they're trying to work from. Yeah, exactly. And they made they made some real progress. The bike is definitely uh, is definitely better. Uh, the engine's better as well. The engine the the tool with the Aprilia is it was a bit too strokey. Uh, power delivery wasn't at all pleasant. It was, you know, very, very harsh. Uh, they've made it. They've made that soften that a little bit. Um, uh, still need some work. Again, organisational changes. They have, I think, is it uh, Massimo Rivola? That's right. The um, um, ex Ferrari um, uh, bod, who is now uh, basically head of the racing. Uh, well, he's head of the sort of organisational side of um, uh, of Aprilia Racing. Yeah, and the CEO. 
Yes, yes, indeed. We're leaving Romano Albesiano to focus on the engineering side, which is very much what he's got to do. I think that made a big difference. That's um, uh, it, it just sort of separating those things out. Um, it helps a lot. Yeah, because let's face it, Romano Albesiano, a fine uh, technical mind, but when it's come to communication, certainly with some of the riders that have been in the Prelude in recent years, that hasn't been one of his strong suits. No, uh, no, exactly. I mean, it was quite clear that uh, he was not particularly suited to, to, to managing a team. There was uh, a lot of complaints inside Grassini that, you know, Fausto Grassini wanted to run the team and let Albaciano run the um, uh, run the management. Obviously, Albaciano and Aprilia didn't want that because it's the Aprilia factory team. Um, so there were sort of tensions there. And now we've got an internal Aprilia person doing the, uh, d- you know, doing doing the team management. Um, which is a big positive for them. And it seems to have sort of calmed everything down and everyone is sort of uh, focusing again. Uh, Alessia Spargo was, looked really, really good. Um, Bradley Smith was a proper Stakhanovite um, uh, worker, um, pounding out the laps, um, even at a moment's notice when um, he had to suddenly sub for Andrea Iannone, who was suffering a mystery illness. Yes, mystery illness, uh, common cold. Could we put this down to? Uh, well, no, well, a um, not so much a common cold as an uncommon jaw infection uh, down to plastic surgery. Yeah, what can you say about Andrea Iannone? Andrea Iannone is absolutely one of the most talented riders on the planet, and if things were otherwise, he might be in a situation to challenge for a, for a championship. But um, uh, he manages to consistently get in his own way and trip himself up by making choices outside of racing which are detrimental to the job of racing which is to just jump on a well it's to live for motorcycle racing and anyone who sees um, um, Andrea Iannone's Instagram feed can see that um, he doesn't uh, live entirely for motorcycle racing he lives for something else and I don't know what that other thing is (laughs) if you're not already following him uh, telling you now just do it because you won't regret it especially if you're a fan of topless men then uh, really uh, you you're missing out yeah knowing our uh, our listenership (laughs) (laughs) the paddock passport that's why i basically said it Uh, lots of young teenage girls listening (laughs) i'm sure um but uh, but yeah you know i mean it's 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 a disastrous uh occurrence really um i think he he crashed on his outlap on the first day, uh, was completely absent on the final day. Um, yeah. I can't imagine this development has, um, well, yeah, I, 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 I can't, I, I, you know, how are the team feeling? Yeah, I don't think he's managed to particularly endear himself to the team. Um, I mean, they are fortunate that, um, that Bradley Smith was there and was able to sort of, you know, jump on the bike. Uh, and again, to an extent, this is. It, it's very good for Bradley Smith. Bradley Smith is sitting there waiting for uh, a chance to, um, you know, he wants to get back into MotoGP. Uh, he might find himself back in MotoGP faster than faster than he expected if he and only, you know, sort of continues to um, uh, squander the opportunities which are being presented to him. So um, uh, I certainly didn't get the impression that the Aprilia team were delighted that um, Iannone had decided to skip uh, um, 
uh, to, to skip the test, but you did get the uh, the impression that at some point they might be delighted that he decided to skip a thing, which is generally a really, really bad um, situation to be in. Yeah, and I'm just thinking back to the start of 2017 and the parallels to Ian only joining Suzuki. Um, well, there are several parallels, mainly with him being slightly difficult and his uh, possibly his um, his preparation being called into question. Um, Again, you know, he's one of the most talented riders I think I've ever seen, but um, uh, talent is just not enough. He's too easily distracted. He's too, um, uh, strangely, he's lacking in self-confidence because if you're truly self-confident, then you wouldn't be bothering um, with, uh, you wouldn't be, well, you wouldn't be bothering with, with plastic surgery. You know, you wouldn't be too bothered about the way that you look because, let's face it, everyone looks um, fantastic once, they've, um, uh, once they're wearing the World Championship T-shirt. Uh, uh, yes, yes. So um, proof as if it were needed that David Emmett is one of the most confident men <laughs> in our midst. <laughs> it's, that, it's the magic of the rainbow jersey, Neil. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fantastic. So, well, that brings us to the end of... Uh, off our factory rundown is there uh, anything else that stood out to you in particular Dave or any other no, observations apart from the fact that it really is I mean the field really is tight I think there was 16, 17 within, within a second at one point hmm. um, yeah on day two before I think Vinales posted uh, his late lap yeah which was half a second faster than anyone I think it was something like 16 yeah exactly I mean like uh, there, there was a couple of those if you discard sort of like the first one or two um, then everyone is just so close you you know you're looking down at the you're looking down at, at the gap between uh, between each rider and it's you know a few thousands a few hundreds a few thousands a few hundreds so that was that was really really um uh, that was really impressive like I say for me um uh, Miguel Oliveira really impressed me and again it's not the kind of thing that would come up on your radar because uh, he was a long way back um, but Oliveira was you know, pretty close to the factory KTMs by the end. Um, he made a big step forward his first time on a MotoGP bike. Obviously, it's an advantage because you've got no idea what a MotoGP bike is supposed to feel like. And he comes off of a KTM as well. He comes off of a KTM uh, in Moto3, in Moto2. He understands. Uh, he has a much better feeling for what uh, one of these uh, steel uh, tubular frames, these steel trellis frames feel uh, feels like, and what it does, and the way that it behaves. Um, that I think is going to be an advantage for uh, uh, for, um, for for KTM in the long run. Uh, and yeah, uh, uh, for me, I think the most interesting things were Alex Rins and Miguel Oliveira. Those those two riders really, really stood out. Obviously, Pekka Banyaya, but um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Alex Rins is definitely a dark horse for my dark horse for 2019. And um, uh, Miguel Oliveira is really going to, I think he's going to surprise a few people. Interesting. Very interesting observations indeed. I, for one, feel uh, as though I've gained so much more knowledge in the past 58 minutes or so of speaking and uh, chatting to you, David. Thank you very much for allowing me to pick your brain uh, over the Sepang test, over the start of uh, MotoGP 2019. From what you've said, I think we're in for another vintage year um, ahead. Let's face it, the last, what, four, three, four, five, six years have all been superb. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really is... Uh, <sighs> Dorna do an awful lot of things wrong, 
but they really have things uh, done uh, in recent years. They've done things incredibly. You have to say that the reason we have this fantastically close racing is we have superb, uh, superb set of rules. Um, absolutely, it, it, all of the pieces are in place. Uh, the poor factories can catch up, or the you know poorly performing factories can catch up. The quick factories can't find their everyone is you know sort of like rooting around for for the last few hundredths um and riders we're now in the situation where it's the rider can make the difference uh, which is very much um the way it should be so um yeah it's really the the spec spec electronics all brought about by the crt teams because you know the crt teams was basically the club which uh, Carmelo Espelator used to bludgeon the factories into submission. Um, we have the Michelin tyres are much more suited to close racing. The level of talent coming through is just, you know, astonishing at the moment. So, yeah, we are very, very lucky to be writing about uh, this. I was writing about MotoGP when there were 17 bikes on the grid. So to be um, writing about it now is fantastic. Yeah, I concur with that. Fantastic. Um, well, David, thank you very much. We've got uh, some Model 2 and Model 3 testing to attend to. Yes. Um, so we uh, we best be off. Um, but thank you for this show. Um, if you haven't already done so, uh, listener, I would uh, I would urge you to basically check out there's a World Superbike preview show of the Paddock Pass podcast. With it, it's our- very good. I listened to it uh, on the way to, um, uh, on the drive from Malaga to um, uh, to Jerez, and uh, it's well worth listening to. There's so much um, uh, so much to hear. Yeah, our good friend Steve English in fine form, and with World Superbikes starting so soon, I would thoroughly recommend that you check that one out as well. Um, it's probably a good time to remind you to uh, tune in to uh, the Paddock Pass podcast uh, social media channels. That's Facebook dot com forward slash panic pass podcast twitter at panic pass pod and check us out on apple podcasts if you do so please leave a review for us because it helps other people find the show and that always puts a smile on both my face and david's face that's right and also make sure that you sign up for our patreon we've got we've had some uh, uh during the sepang tests steve put together sort of little snippets of uh, what the riders have had to say so our patreons got to hear immediately um uh, they they got the good stuff they got you know straight from the horse's mouth how the riders were feeling about uh, about the bikes they'd been riding so um it's well worth it it also uh, motivates us to make more of these shows it helps um uh, cover some of our uh, costs to get to these shows so um uh, or to, uh, to get to the races and to um, bring you um, stuff which I hope you enjoy. Yes, and for 2019, we are hoping to have a more regular World Superbike uh, show as well. Steve is working on that, on uh, getting some guests together. So that, that is more of a, a bi-weekly occurrence, um, as well as our regular Model GP shows uh, that Dave and I uh, do along with Steve. Uh, so... Plenty to look forward to on the horizon uh, for the Paddock Pass podcast. Um, Thank you for joining us for this particular episode. And uh, we'll be back with another episode very soon. Speak to you soon. Bye. Turn that mother right up. Right.